What is going on, guys? This is Brendan Burns, and welcome to The Brendan Burns Show. Join me as I interview, dissect, and share the stories of high performers who have created the life that they deserve on their terms. I sit down with speakers, professional athletes, and successful entrepreneurs from all over the world who have chosen to live a life of fulfillment and joy over status and money. In each episode, I share actionable strategies that you can implement in your life, plus inspiration along the way. So come join me for this episode of The Brendan Burns Show. Hey everyone, Brendan here, and I'm very excited to introduce this episode I did with Matt Dobshoots. He is a great guy. He's the host of Porn Free Radio, which I love because it covers so many different areas of masculinity, intimacy, personal development, and it's a show that really has impacted me, and I reached out to Matt earlier this year to let him know that and invite him on my show, which he did. He was episode 48, and we had a really good episode together on my show. We're friends now, and we were just talking a few weeks ago and decided it would be fun to do a crossover episode together. And Matt is someone who I definitely seek out for personal life advice around relationships and personal development. And Matt has come to me for support with business and coaching and you know money and some of the things that I have more expertise in and talk about on my show. So we just kind of kick it back and forth and we answer a bunch of different questions for each other around life after addiction. I think that's kind of the big thesis that we came came away with was what's life like when you start to cut out some of the compulsive behavior? So you cut back the drinking, you cut back or cut out the porn, you move on from exes and social media and all these things that weigh us down. And it was pretty cool to discover that in my own life, I'm taking flying lessons now to become a pilot uh, for fun. I'm not going to be flying uh, Boeing 747s anytime soon, but I'm also taking Japanese lessons and I'm going to Russia next week and all these really exciting things that I have in my life now that I've cleaned up the compulsive behavior and Matt talks about his recovery and his journey as well. And we just have a blast. We kick it back and forth. Matt's a great dude and I hope you enjoy the show. All right. Well, we're live. Brendan Burns, Matt Dobshoots, recorded live on Porn Free Radio and the Brendan Burns Show. Uh, it's awesome to be with you and, and connect and talk about coaching, talk about success in life. And uh, I'm excited to have you here. Thank you, Matt. It, it was a real pleasure having you on my show, I guess, earlier this year. And I'm a huge fan, and I talk a lot about Porn Free Radio with my audience, and I recommend it all the time. So it's a pleasure to officially make my debut on your show. Yeah, well, it's cool. And it's it's interesting, you know, I'm always, every once in a while, you probably get this a little bit with uh, people pitching to be on your show. And I get some of these, I get some of these sort of pitches every once in a while, and um, they, they're kind of self-serving. It's obvious they don't really know who the audience is that I'm talking to. Uh, they don't know anything about me. And it's just like this really bad way to start a relationship, you know, these, these emails. And sometimes they follow up several times. And um, I just remember you reached out uh, probably a year ago maybe and just said, hey, I, I, you know, I listen and this is some of the things I've learned from it. And 
you know, and then I think at some point you invited me on your show and it was just like, and I got excited talking to you there. And, and, and so it's, this is the kind of, you know, thing I love when we can kind of do something together and connect. And I know we share a, a love for skateboarding and for uh, a number of other passions. So it's cool to have you here on Porn Free Radio. Yeah, thank you, Matt. It's funny you say that because this is something that I've learned as someone who has a coaching business. A lot of people will go on to say LinkedIn, for example, and send out, they'll do a search for people who have podcasts and just send a canned response to 30 or 100 people saying, would love to be on your show, right? That's like sending a text message to a woman basically saying, I'd like to, you know, consummate yeah. everything. <laughs> I don't know who you are. I don't know. You don't know who I am versus sending one real authentic message to one person and building a relationship. Because as you mentioned, when I reached out, I didn't ask to be on your show. That was never my intention. Obviously, it's a great blessing to be here. It's great to get my word out through your audience and vice versa with you to mine. But I think um, life, whether it's in business or relationships, comes down to building a real relationship. And I like to also, when I reach out to people, especially who have larger audiences or brands than myself, be really specific about what I like about them and specifically how their show or their message has impacted my life. Not I'm happier because of you, but I was in New Mexico. My friend bailed on the trip. I was in a jam and Porn Free Radio came through and really helped me, right? And that, I'm sure, impacted you differently. Yeah, no, I, I, I well, yeah, and I, I just, it was just a good way to start a relationship. And the more, and when I get to know people, then it's cool to share my friends with people. And, and some of the best guests that I've had on Porn Free Radio were through referrals or just connection. And then, you know, they come on and there's already, we already have some rapport um, cause it's a natural, authentic relationship. And so that made for just better radio, so to speak. Um, exactly. And- it's funny. One of my favorite guests, uh, is a guy named Jesse Itzler, who mm. people in the personal growth world. He owns the, uh, he's one of the owners of the Atlanta Hawks. Exactly. He's married. And, to and he's mar- yeah, he's married to the woman who invented Spanx. Thanks. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Not doing too bad financially. And Jesse actually reached out to me first through um, Instagram and he wanted some help there. And I was happy to help him with no agenda. Just wanted his message to get out there. And then I turned around later on, maybe six months later and asked him if he would be on my show. And same thing with a lot of the bigger names like Jack Canfield or whoever that I've had on my show. It's all about that relationship first, as I'm sure you know from, say, doing a lot of discovery coaching calls, just like the the lower quality volume versus authenticity and going deeper with one person. Yeah, I, Eitzler uh, wrote that book. Um, he, he wrote a book where he went and lived in a monastery for a while. Do you remember that? Yeah, yeah. He, he uh, wrote um, something like Living with the Seal, which was with David Goggins. Yeah. And then he did the Living with the Monk book as well. yeah. He's, he's kind of an interesting character. And, uh, uh, I, I remember, um, I remember listening to that episode and I've listened to like him on one other show. So, um, yeah, like I, you know, one of the things I I was telling you before we started recording was, um, you know, we do a recovery, you know, I do a recovery show on, you know, letting go of porn and porn behaviors in your life. And, 
And um, so we talk a lot about recovery tools and things like that, but people love when we talk about kicking ass in life and like growing and what are we doing to succeed? What are we doing? What are we doing with our time? You know, after we let go of some of these behaviors that are destructive, you know, what are we, what are we doing to rebuild our lives and, and to, to pursue things. And uh, Jesse Eisler seems like a guy like who's constantly looking for challenges and looking, I I remember hearing this interview with him where he uh, um, wanted to improve as a basketball player. And he, and it's ironic because he owns an NBA team or part partial owner of an NBA team, but he, uh, he actually committed to a training and, and um, you know, I think he's over 50 years old and he wanted to get on this special 50 year old and over team. And he like worked really hard to get his skills up to be on this, this sort of semi pro team. And uh, I just thought, man, that's amazing. A guy who's very wealthy and has a lot of, you know, kind of potential freedom in his life, he's setting challenging goals for himself and achieving them. So if he can do it, you know, it's like, it's inspiring to me. Absolutely. You know, Jesse, one of the things that I really respect about him, he's a big advocate about uh, healthy eating. And so he does these fake Friday Instagram posts where he puts up boxes of sugary cereal and he really critiques them well. And I I love that about him. I also love how he motivates people and his message is just because you're getting older doesn't mean you can't be a peak performance athlete. So one of the things that David Goggins talks about in his book, Can't Hurt Me, is he's running these hundred mile races, right? And his toenails are falling off and he ran a marathon with a broken foot, I believe at one point. And what Jesse talks about is he, he shares a lot of this content of running these races and saying, you know, I'm over 50. Uh, if I can do this, anyone can do this. It doesn't matter. And so I really respect that in him. One of the things that he shared with me when he came on my show that I also thought was interesting is whether you're addicted to pornography or maybe you have a lighter or like a less obvious addiction, he was watching at least nine hours of NFL football every Sunday. He would watch the one o'clock games, four o'clock games, the night game. And he said, if you add up all that time, in a year, think about what else you could be doing with that. And so he's really someone who, okay, I'm a billionaire, but I'm not going to be content. And I'm going to continue to push myself to the next level as a way to inspire people. And it really reminded me, Matt, of, I guess it was maybe, I don't know, three years ago, two years ago, when I really felt like I got onto the other side of my porn addiction. And it would be, you know, I'd put in a good work day, I would go to the gym, I would meditate, pray, talk to some friends, hang out. And then it would be seven o'clock. And I'd say, what am I going to do for the next four hours? Right? I have my life back. And so it's a really beautiful thing when you get control of your life back and you find the efficiencies and all this opportunity, like you said, to kick butt and really crush it in life. Yeah. I mean, I I think that that football example is a good one. Now, like I love the bears and I love football and I talk about it all the time on, on, on porn free radio, but, but it's a choice, right? It's a choice to watch nine hours of football and I'm not judging it. Um, but it's an investment and you can ask yourself, is this the most beneficial investment of this nine hours? And, and maybe there's a part of it, there's restorative part of it. Like I love the bears. I, 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 I have a client who, um, 
it's one of the ways he connects with his dad. So he gets together, his, his dad's older, he gets together, they watch the game together. Okay, so that's a good use of three hours, you know? I'm connecting with my dad, it's a shared passion, right? But, but if I'm watching yeah. the, a random Thursday night game with the Cleveland Browns and, and, the, and I don't know, Pittsburgh Steelers <laughs> a couple of weeks ago, it's like, does that yeah, you got does that money out like that? Does that really affect my life? I don't like either of these teams, and and why am yeah. I spending time watching yeah. this? What else could I be doing? And I think a lot of times what happens is, and this happens a lot with pornography, um, is we get kind of dulled to possibility, like, and so it's easiest to turn on the TV and watch the Cleveland Browns and the Pittsburgh Steelers. It's easiest to open up a browser window and get lost. That's the easiest kind of action. You know, that's the unskillful sort of way of dealing with that time with just a little intention and some, and unlocking some of that creativity and possibility, you know, we can go, if we, if we just think, what do I, what could I possibly do with this two or three hours that would really be meaningful you might choose something different than the Cleveland Browns and Pittsburgh Steelers for you guys. Outside, yeah. For and anyone yeah. else outside of the United States, I'm talking about American football and I'm talking about two teams that their cities love. Uh, they love their team, but they're not exactly universal. You know, it's not exactly like they're the greatest teams in the world. So, yeah, no, I really respect that point, Matt, because for example, on Saturday night, I'm going over to, hang out with a bunch of my friends, a bunch of guys, and we're going to watch the UFC fights. And I'm not a big MMA fan. I don't know the people's names as much, but what a great way to come together with other like-minded men who I've met through basketball teams or church groups or whatever. And versus, um, you know, it's a Tuesday afternoon and I'm going to watch a show because I'm going to escape from what I really have to deal with in my life. So that, that's a really good point. I also wanted to add that, you know, when you're, it, when I was in the addiction phase of my life, it was, it's survive versus thrive. So it was always, I was always behind and always trying to play catch up. So, right, if I open that browser window or go act out, now I'm behind schedule and I ha I'm going to do a lower quality job with work or whatever. And I'm always short of time and kind of, you know, behind versus thriving now where I'm in a position of, that's not consuming my life. Those things aren't distracting me. And so I went to the Super Bowl this year. I told you before we started recording, I took my first uh, flight lesson on the airplane. Um, I'm going to Russia in a couple of weeks. So these are really nice things that you can do on the other side. So give me just one, you know, like a, a little thumbnail of where you've come from. What in your story um, were some of the things that were challenging with addiction and you know, what have you overcome? I know you've documented this on, on the Brendan Burns show a lot, um, but just for Porn Free Radio, like what's what's kind of in your background that you've overcome? When I was younger, when I was very young, you know, four, five, six years old, I was abandoned by my parents. Uh, not they didn't physically leave me alone for another family to adopt me, but my mother was not available to be a caretaker for me. And while my father was present physically, he wasn't there for me emotionally. So if you read up on abandonment, neglect, abuse, there was uh, emotional abuse, 
a little physical abuse, a little sexual abuse, but mostly very emotional and verbal abuse in my household. So these things I was exposed to. And then my stepfather came into the picture when I was 13. And I didn't know porn addiction was a thing, but he would he would have been a great uh, person to listen to your show because he would openly just walk into the living room and put on hardcore pornography and just watch it there. Wow. And uh, I, yeah, and I had never even didn't know that was a thing to do with other people. And uh, so, and he was, had a lot of different addictions to alcohol, prescription pills. He was a, a lawyer who made say a million dollars a year, but spent 2 million a year. And he was ultimately disbarred and, um, you know, got kicked out of uh, the bar association. He moved down to Florida. Um, a- anyway, so I was exposed to a lot of different sort of chaos and trauma when I was younger. But I did a really good job, I'm putting quotes around good, of uh, numbing and dissociating and compartmentalizing in a really bad way. So when I moved to New York City when I was 25, after I got my Cornell undergrad and law school and everything, um, I got a job as an investment banker and I was in a relationship with a great woman and I was experiencing a lot of problems with both. I was having a really hard time working through my emotions, a really hard time resolving conflict with my girlfriend. I was very controlling, very emotionally abusive. And towards the end of that relationship, um, I started to engage in more compulsive sexual behavior around pornography. Um, and through her and that relationship, yeah, just got, became more sexually active. And then I said, wow, this is what a great way to avoid my feelings, right? Without knowing I was doing that. And then I was so blessed to be dumped by her, fired from my job, and had some family conflict come up all at the same time because that was my awakening. Got me into uh, Barnes and Noble, uh, started reading The Emotionally Abusive Relationship, great book by Beverly Engel. Started working with her one on one for five years, and through that process, she called me out for being a sex addict. Went back onto Amazon, found George Collins's book, uh, Breaking the Cycle wrote him an email right away, and then I worked with him for three years, and he was the one who really got me through the addiction. Uh, we worked together from like 2015 to 2017. And uh, so, yeah, that's kind this of This just says yeah. something about you. Like, you want to solve a problem. You get the book, and then you figure out a way to work with the author. That's I love that. That's the best. <laughs> yeah. Right? No, I mean, Tony Robbins says, find a model. Right. It's like take massive action, but find people who have already done it. And the thing about George is he was also from New York, same kind of mother with yeah. emotional incest, same thing. And he's 75, totally on the other side. So I said, what a great mentor who could walk me through this process. And he was we were on the phone almost every day at some different some points in our work together. And uh, he really delivered. Yeah, I've heard great things about him. And I've, I've never had him on Porn Free Radio, but I've, I've always I've kind of I haven't quite figured out. Um, it's funny now that I know you, I could probably get some I could probably get connected with him now that I think about it. But I haven't Definitely. put that uh, intention in. Um, but from the people that I've known who've worked with him and and um, and I've even heard him on some podcasts. Um, I definitely know there's a lot of synergy and a lot of you know, we're kind of definitely in this on the same team, so to speak. And um, so that's cool. George Collins, uh, it's breaking the cycle. Is that the name of the book? I, I'm 
Yeah, breaking the cycle, and then the subtitle is something like from shame and porn addiction to healing, and it it was a great book. I've probably listened to that audiobook a hundred times at this point, and uh, he's married to a woman named Paldrum, who's a former Buddhist nun. They both they met while both volunteering uh, for a woman named Gangaji, who's a spiritual teacher in California, and George is deeply spiritual. And uh, really takes an Eckhart Tolle approach to addiction, very focused on the mind and and the thoughts and things like that. Eckhart Tolle, he's the power of now guy. Yeah, he wrote The Power of Now and he wrote uh, A New Earth, which I'm reading now. And his whole concept is everything we feel is a result of thoughts that we think. And so the goal is to really just watch those thoughts and be the watcher of the mind. Yeah, I mean, I've heard a lot about this idea. Um, I mean, I had a guy on earlier this year, Jay Stringer, who wrote a book about uh, called Unwanted. And one of the things he invites you to do in the book is to get curious about your thoughts, get curious about what excites you or what, what porn you're drawn to, to and start to kind of play detective of, uh, of what, why, why is this porn about power? Or why is this porn about a need that's not being expressed in my life. And uh, I love that idea of instead of shaming the desire, using it for information, using it to, to sort of inform where we need to go, what we need to work on. Um, so yeah. uh, it's, it's interesting. Uh, I think like you, um, you know, my wife the other day said, you know, you're always reading. And it's kind of a joke because I feel like, the podcast makes me read because I want to come up with new ideas. I want to be come up with new ideas. And I'm, and yeah. so I am reading more than I ever have in my life, but it still feels like I'm not a reader. Like I kind of have this idea that I'm not a reader, but I realize I'm a yeah. reader. And there's even ways that in the past I would have said, Oh, Eckhart Tolle, that's new age. Like I'm a Christian. That's, uh, you know, whatever, what am I going to get there? But then I'll hear an idea like, you know, being curious about your thoughts or your thoughts control, you know, your behavior. And then I'll be like, oh, I think that's true. My experience like totally maps out to that. Maybe there's something I can take away from this. Maybe there's something I can learn. Uh, yeah. Well, I'm I'm curious. So you're you're reading more or you've always read and maybe haven't acknowledged yourself for it. I'm curious kind of what genres you read. And what I'm really interested in, Matt, is when you came on my show earlier this year, you um, you looked a lot different. You you seem to be in really different shape physically. You look really great. And I think that's one of the things when we go through this recovery is we it start to hit, starts to hit different areas of our life. And I'm curious if you talk about that, because I'm sure there are people out there curious about what else they'll see in terms of benefits from quitting porn. Um, well, let me, let me, uh, let me talk about the book one and then I'll talk about health, health and fitness, which I think is what you're alluding Perfect. to. So, um, yeah, the book one, the, 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 th you know, I never liked nonfiction books growing up. Um, I was an English major. I liked liter story. Um, I, my degrees in literary criticism. Um, so 
that's what I really loved. I love my favorite, um, my favorite writer growing up, the person I looked up to was Roger Ebert, the film critic, who was from Chicago. Yes. And he wrote for my favorite paper, the Chicago Sun-Times. And um, every Friday, his column would come out just same day as today. Um, and I'd get that Friday paper and read his critique of whatever movie he saw that week. And, and um, through the lens of Ebert, you know, I got really interested in film and, and story. And so that's kind of like how I did life stories and, you know, and, and critique. Um, but in recovery, you know, I realized there were all these gaps where I just was not aware, where I didn't have tools, where I, I really was underdeveloped. Um, there were places that I missed growing up, like in your family, there were, you know, I didn't have the same issues that you had, but there were places my parents missed me. There were places that I didn't get what I needed. And on the road to recovery, I started looking for that and I realized, oh, there's all these nonfiction sources where people have had experiences like me or where they've overcome something or where they gotten an aha moment about their life. And, um, and, but, and so in the old days, you know, like in the fifties and sixties, a lot of these books were self-improvement books, you know, the, the, um, I'm thinking of, um, uh, what's the book, um, Gosh, I can't remember it. Um, Maltz, Maltz's book. Um, oh, psycho, psycho cybernetics. Psycho cybernetics. Yeah, psycho cybernetics. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So Maxwell Maltz. Um, psycho cybernetics. Um, of course, there's a Think and Grow Rich, Napoleon Hill, um, the Success System That Never Fails by. Uh, Clement Stone. How to win friends and influence people. How to win friends and influence people. Dale Carnegie. So there's all those kind of books. And so that genre was, was, you know, popular in the, you know, fifties, sixties. And, um, but I think also a lot of people kind of look down on that kind of stuff. Um, you know, just kind of think like, Oh, that's kind of whatever it's at least, especially in, in, in uh, in my sort of circle, my Christian circle, definitely people are kind of like, oh, that's not that great. You know, it's it's self help, self improvement. Interesting, um, yeah. But the but anyway, to answer your question, the thing that's been influencing me the most is I realized a lot of that self improvement has moved into business books. Because it's a lot easier for someone to walk into a Barnes and Noble and come out with a leadership book than a book about fixing yourself and healing your wounds. <laughs> oh yeah. Um, and so I think what's happened is we've had this revolution in the last 20 years where there's all these incredible books that are really self-improvement books and books about self-awareness, but they're packaged like leadership books. So I'm thinking of like the power of habit by Charles Duhigg or, you know, um, the One Thing by Gary Keller. Um, you know, those kind of books are the books that have definitely been exciting me. Um, uh, Ryan Holiday's books, Ego is the Enemy. Yeah, I mean, Obstacles the Way. Yeah. Obstacle is the Way. Those yeah. are the ones, you know, even a book like <laughs> Rising Strong by Brene Brown, she yeah. kind of, she kind of, it, it kind of 
is almost in that self-improvement and yet somehow she's been able with a TED talk and with her positioning kind of make it seem like, well, this is just helping us improve. And, you know, it's like, it's kind of like taking, it doesn't seem like she's a guru. She just seems like I'm a really smart researcher and I just want to share my results, but these results are actually going to help you change your life. You know? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, she's really good at branding herself as like a, a leadership speaker or a corporate executive type coach. And then she uses her background as in researching shame and vulnerability. So then she comes in the back door with all the really heavy stuff that people need to hear. Right. Yeah. So, so those, those are the things that get me excited when I see someone out there, even a Brene Brown, um, um, who incidentally humble brag, she follows me on Twitter and, um, and there's a reason for this. We signed up for Twitter at like the same week, I think. Yeah. And I was one of the first people to follow her. And I think she just followed me back. Now <laughs> she has like millions of followers. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> and I have, I have like 600 followers. So anyway, that was kind of a, that's an irony. And every once in a while, when I'm feeling low, um, I'll go and look at my Twitter followers. I go, does Brene Brown still follow me? And then I'll see her name and I'll be like, oh, so uh, nice. Everything's okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, it's funny you say that, Matt. And definitely want you to um, finish up that answer as well as talk about your health journey. But I'll, I'll just quickly add that when I'm selling my programs or events or coaching or even courses, people are much more interested in coming to me for business coaching, how can I grow my income, how can I make more money, uh, how can I make passive income, how can I travel the world like you, Brendan, have that life uh, laptop lifestyle, as opposed to I need to heal the wounds from my past, I need to do painful emotional processing. And it's all kind of the same as applied to whatever goal people want. So uh, rather than fight that urge to be a purely life coach or whatever, I've taken on some clients as a way to get them in the door and help them become more open-minded to this type of work. And it's worked out really well because then it becomes a lot easier to, you know, instead of giving these people just what they want, helping them be open to getting what they really need. It's so funny. I do the same thing, but almost from the other perspective, people come to the door from of my coaching practice with a big challenge in their life. Um, they're, they're out of control in, in their, with their porn, or they're just having trouble getting any consistency. And what we unlock usually is they're very underdeveloped in their sense of meaning, purpose, and calling in life. And so what's interesting, and I love it when a client says this, it'll be like the third or fourth session, they'll be like, wow, we've just talked for an hour and we didn't mention porn once because we're talking about where, where do they find meaning? What brings them energy? And guess what? Porn doesn't bring those things. So we stop talking about that because it's just sort of something that's sort of siphoning off their creativity and their purpose in life. And instead, we start reengaging what really pulls them forward. So it's, it's, but it's the same kind of thing. Like I sell recovery coaching and then I end up doing life coaching. You yeah. kind of, <laughs> you kind of, you kind of give this business coaching thing and then right. you end up, you know, helping them in their life. That's amazing. Yeah. yeah, I know. It's funny you say that. I, I remember early on in my recovery reading a quote 
which said quitting porn is about two things. The first thing is it's about quitting porn. And the second thing is it's about finding what to replace it with, finding meaning, meaningful career, meaningful hobbies. And so that's uh, that's great. I remember when I was working with George, George Collins, we were there for the addiction and then it turned into him supporting me and growing my own business. And he transitioned me out of the hedge fund. That's when I left while I was working with him. And so, uh, yeah, it's great to see all the different benefits. Yeah. And I, I mean, I think that that's one thing I've learned both in coaching and in my own recovery that I used to have this idea and you probably had this too, is, um, I want to recover from porn or I want to, I want to lose weight and then go on with my life. It's kind of like, I'll fix this problem and then I'll just have the life I want, you know, or whatever. I'll just get to do what I want to do. And the truth is, is it's much more, um, I'm not get, getting rid of this. So I get back to my life. This is my life integrating this experience with where I'm going, that's the, that's the whole thing. It's not getting back to something I had, whatever I, there's no going back to, to some other time when this wasn't a problem. This is now part of my story. And, and, and even recovery, you know, like sometimes I, I work with guys to develop a written recovery plan and it'll just be like porn avoidance strategies. And I'll be like, where's the life in this? Because this is a life plan, not just a, a porn avoiding strategy plan. So yeah. we need something that's exciting. Like nothing excites me about this at all. Nothing makes me smile. Nothing gives me energy. It looks boring to me. And, yeah. and so like, how do we get more of that creativity engaged? Let me, uh, uh, let me that's cut back. Point. Let me cut back to your uh, your previous question about health and fitness. So um, this year I've been uh, eating a different food plan and it's resulted in uh, about close to 60 pounds of weight loss, which is good. Now, that's not that's I, not good, Matt. That's fantastic. Give yourself some credit, man. I, I will. I'll take plenty of credit for that. But um, the the thing that is is. A little more humbling, though, is this is the sixty pounds I've lost before. Okay, yeah. um, I've um, I've gone up and down the scale a couple of times in in my health and fitness journey, even after I recovered from porn. You know, there's been some times where I've gotten in really good habits and I've had the right support, and then if I don't am not intentional about keeping them and continuing to recommit and engage myself, it's easy for me to slip back into the old patterns. Um, and it's really easy for me to let things like disappointment influence the choices I make. Um, so, you know, I'll give you an example. Um, on my last day in my corporate job, I bike commuted to work. And I have this, I have a really, uh, stripped down commuter bike, one speed. It's got bullhorn handlebars. It would work well in New York City. You know, you can cut through cabs. And I mean, it's the bike of a young hipster. And I'm not a young hipster. Um, 
but I, my fitness at, at the point that I left my job was the best it had been in my adult life. I was riding my bike to work two, three days a week. I was eating uh, a plant-based vegan diet. And, um, but I got laid off from my job and it was a complete blind side. Um, and it was a big career disappointment. And I came home, put that bike in the garage, and I started associating that bike with going to work at that job. And that disappointment led to that bike, you know, basically not being a part of my life anymore. And this was something that was, you know, just like a habit that was like an automatic habit. Bike bag packed, locker at work, shower, boom. You know, it was just like, it was just like, I didn't even have to think about it. And now the idea that I would go for a bike ride and have nowhere to go, that's how I associated bike riding. I'm a bike commuter. I like riding to a place. Now that I work at home, where do I ride to? And, and you know, there were all these limiting beliefs that started creeping in. And, and um, so that, that happened with exercise. It happened with some food stuff. Why am I, you know, and a couple of disappointments, a couple of injuries. I broke my hand twice in one year after getting laid off. And that, you know, you'd think, well, Matt, that doesn't affect, you know, your eating. That doesn't affect your, it did affect bike riding. I couldn't hold a handlebar. Um, but it, I, I could have done all sorts of other things, but I let the disappointment get me off track. Um, so this year, the difference this year is, I've made a recommitment to this area and basically had to embrace that idea that I'm not a um, compartmentalized person, that I can't be talking about growth and talking about overcoming challenges, building skills to overcome challenges in, in porn addiction and porn, porn behaviors, and then be going to Burger King after coaching sessions and just mindlessly eating. Um, so I started getting more in touch with the cost of the fact that my, my food and fitness wasn't aligning with how I feel called to live. And, um, you know, and it wasn't, I'm not beating myself up. I was still a good coach, but I'm a better coach when I'm not compartmentalizing food and fitness. And when I'm really pressing into the challenge. I'm learning more. I have more to give. Even this year, people have said some of my recent podcasts have just really connected more. And when I listen back, they still, they sound good, but I'm not like, what's different about this? And I think it's just that authentic change, that growth in me starts coming out in some of my language, coming out in some of the ways I'm talking. And it's just more inspiring. That's, that's amazing. Matt. I just, I want to say that, uh, one of the things that I love about coaching and doing this type of work is it gives me not only the opportunity, but it forces me via requirement to live, live it and practice what I preach. And I, I really believe that it's important to take your own medicine if you're going to teach it. And I, I have a lot of clients where I'm on these sessions with them or I'm, or I'm doing a live event and I'm on a stage and I'm telling people, you have to be compassionate. You have to be kinder to yourself. You have to, you know... 
and then I look back at myself and then let's say someone didn't resonate with my message or I had a really challenging session or something in my life comes up that's challenging and then I'm beating myself up for not handling it well. One of the things I talk a lot about is that we are all doing the best we can at this time with the resources that we currently have. And then because I'm very self-aware, I'll notice that if I either don't release my anger soon enough or if I'm rude or if I get really frustrated or something happens, I can then, you know, watch my mind get really hard on me and beat myself up. And it's it's my duty to uh, to do the work on myself that I'm teaching other people. And even if you're saying the same thing on the podcast, if you're not living it in, in some way, whether it's this extra realm or dimension or sixth sense, people will gravitate either more towards you or away from you based on the emotion or what's underneath that. And I also wanted to say that, you know, it's interesting how you you notice that uh, bike riding for you, it was initially paired as a pleasurable experience with positive association. And then that transferred to pain. It went from pleasure to pain. Um, and I've experienced that in my own life with human connection with people. So when I was very young, people largely represented pain for me because it was either my mother who would hurt me by leaving me, my father who would hurt me by screaming and yelling. It was kids at school bullying. So other than, say, my grandparents or teachers, most people triggered pain for me. And as you speak a lot about, the opposite of addiction is connection. And what I've really found to be a major part of my recovery has been integrating back into community, which is not the easiest thing to do in a city like Manhattan, but it's absolutely there if you take initiative. And so um, I'm in my own process of changing the pleasure pain bond. And I think it would be interesting for listeners to think about what in their life could be beneficial to them that they're currently associating with pain when it could be really pleasure. And so, uh, yeah, for me, it's really attaching people, human connection, interaction, associating with others as a pleasurable rather than painful experience. Yeah. And I, I think that's one of the big challenges in recovery, especially in with my, uh, you know, kind of discipline here, porn and porn behaviors is, um, a lot of these behaviors really are, uh, thrive in isolation. And so when a guy's struggling with porn, the last thing he thinks of is I need more connection and to be more known because that's sort of the scariest thing because, you know, a part of this is avoiding, avoiding relationship, avoiding intimacy. So the idea that the, the way to healing is more intimacy and relationship is, is actually a very scary thing. Um, and it's actually one of those things that limits guys from moving into to real recovery because the the cost of what they're doing with porn is actually less than the fear that they have of what they need to really press into. And they, yeah. and they wonder, why do I keep going back to it? Well, you keep going back to it because there's still a ton of fear tied with the way to healing. Um, you know, I get guys applying to groups. Um, one of, and I, I totally get this. Um, people will a, a, apply to my coaching or to my uh, coaching group with an, with a fake name. And, uh, and, and, and I quickly reach out and say, listen, um, I get that this is hard, but I work with real people. 
you have to press in to this fear, whatever it is. And, uh, you know, I've had guys who want to join only by telephone. And I have a question, you know, can you, you know, can you join by video conference or can you join by telephone? And when they choose telephone only, I, I, that's a little red, that's a little uh, warning sign for me that, Hey, what, what's this about the telephone only? Is this a limitation to technology? Are you a guy who only has a flip phone because you've already taken steps in recovery or is this, you're avoiding the exposure and really being known and pressing into real relationship. Yeah. So no, that's, that's really good. I've, I have a client who, uh, he was thinking about launching his own business with a with a different moniker or a different you know author name because he was there was fear around the vulnerability there and when i was working with george collins there was a man in our small group who was uh he wouldn't put his last name on anything i don't think people could know his last name and George's system was if you booked a session with him, you'd get a calendar invite on your Google calendar. And uh, this man ultimately stopped working with George because he was too scared that, that someone could see his calendar and this would come up. And, um, you know, I think coming out of the dark about this, like you said, is critical to killing the addiction. And it's also that overcoming of shame. And, you know, one of the things in my journey not only with relationships and avoiding intimacy with women, but even in my business. I think most people know me more for my online courses and my uh, online presence. And when I look back at that, I see how creating an online course and selling them with uh, online webinars was a lot safer than having to do the the one-on-one work, which, as you know, as a coach, can bring up emotions in the coach and be more vulnerable in that capacity. And what I've learned is while selling online courses through webinars is a great way to actually scale your income and make a lot of passive money, which is something I do, it's it's just one avenue and having a diversified business and being able to be vulnerable in person like I am here in New York City and go to networking events and look CEOs in the eyes and do this type of work is often much more meaningful and can be more lucrative too. Hey, I, uh, I mean, I've had, I have all these questions about you and, and coaching and you've, the interesting thing is many of them you've just answered, like just in just talking. Um, <laughs> but, um, I wanted to ask a question and this might be a little bit of a non sequitur, but I think you'll, you, you, this is something that jumped out to me. Um, when I was first listening to your podcast, uh, one of the ones that I loved was an early one you did where you talked about going to the Tony Robbins, um, not the Awaken the Giant Within, what's it called? Um, Unleash the Power Within. Yeah. Un- Unleash <laughs> the Power Within conference. And and again, Tony Robbins, one of those guys in the past, I probably would have judged, I would have had some thoughts about. And, uh, um, but I've kind of opened myself to the idea of like, you know, maybe there's stuff that I can learn from him. And um, and even I've mentioned him on the podcast and I watched that documentary too on Netflix, uh, which I know you watched. Um, but you said something that I thought was pretty profound in, in just talking about your experience, um, with, uh, with going to Tony Robbins conference and I'll try to rephrase it, maybe kind of prompt you to remember what it was, but you said something like, uh, people who are trying to give up a bad habit like smoking, 
or overeating need to realize that the challenge isn't with the substance or behavior. Um, do you remember that comment? Yes. Yes. I, what, what I do, <laughs> yeah. What do they need to know? What do they need to know? That's what oh, I, the, I wanted you to share with the audience. Cause yeah. I thought, I thought the way you said it was great. It's really, it's really funny. So, um, I do like Tony a lot and I've been to his events and I've met him. Uh, what he told a story at one of his events, which was that there was this how to quit smoking in 30 days or less center somewhere in California. And people would go in there and they would sit him down, kind of like lock him down on these chairs and hook up wires with high voltage uh, releases all over their body. And then they would take a puff of a cigarette and they would get zapped. Right. And they would do this over and over again. And uh, th they were right. It was quit smoking in a month or 90 days, whatever it was, or your money back. And it worked. People had amazing success rates. But the problem was that these people who all quit smoking, would they come back in a year to check in on them and they were all either 50 or 100 pounds overweight or they were now alcoholics or they were now doing drugs or they were now doing something else. And so what Tony was teaching was that, and I teach this too, is that an addiction has nothing to do with the actual substance that you're using, right? Because most people can enjoy many of these things in moderation. Some people can have a Facebook account and post a nice picture with their family and write some messages to some nice people who they know. Many people can go out and have a slice of pizza. They can go out and have a drink, right? And they can actually enjoy the taste of, say, a good wine or a good food or something like that. What I've seen through the story that Tony told was that addiction is just you're using something to get either an endorphin rush or a dopamine hit or release to cover up the painful emotions that are in our body. And in my recovery, it has mm -hmm. all been centered around First of all, what's in my body, right? Eckhart Tolle refers to this as the pain body, the stacking of the pain that's inside of us. What's here, right? What's been built up from the past and then what's come up this week? You know, what What are the the anger, the shame, the, the pain, the fear, the self-doubt, the sadness? What's here? And then how can I actually physically release that from my body? And how can I put tools and mechanisms into place that will facilitate doing this? So, for example... Um, you know, one thing that George Collins taught me was really how to become the watcher of your mind, because if you're able to watch your mind, then you're able to see the thoughts, which are the trigger for our emotions. In Christianity, uh, there's a big emphasis on having a deep relationship with God, as you know, and really understanding that God loves you exactly as you are. And he doesn't want you to make mistakes, but we are all human and we will make these mistakes and we want to become the best version of ourselves. And at the same time, God loves us unconditionally. And that, if that belief is in our brain, we give ourselves a lot more self-love and that helps with the shame, which is just another feeling of pain. So yeah, Tony just, he told that great story about that smoking center where people would get physically zapped and they would all, um, you know, quit smoking, but not quit addictive behavior. And so for me, my recovery has been about what are the emotions here? How can I feel better, process everything, and then be able to just kind of be here as who I am and not need to go to something, fancy football, alcohol, social media, whatever it is, to escape.
Uh, yeah, I was, I'm just laughing because you mentioned fantasy football and I'm, <laughs> I'm crushed this week because I'm, I lost in the playoffs and, um, and it's just, I had the best season I've ever had in fantasy football and I lost in the first round of the playoffs to the eighth place team. And, uh, so I'm still suffering from the disappointment. So there's some pain in my body. <laughs> there's some stacking, <laughs> stacking pain in my body oh, from last week. I, I hope you meditate on that. <laughs> I, I I literally do. I need to uh, to create some uh, some positive habits around that because I I literally took it very hard. Yeah. Um, no, I I love what you're saying there, and I'm I'm connecting with it. And it's it's this idea, and I've I've said this a little bit here and there on the podcast that you know porn uh, is the solution, not the problem. And the the problem is this pain, this 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 stuff that we're avoiding, this stuff that we're trying to escape, numb. Uh, and sometimes it's even you know wanting to put a cherry on top of something good in our life. You know, it's this habit around um, you know having these powerful feelings, and then somehow we have associated going to porn as part of that ritual. Um, yeah. But but porn's the solution, and um, and so. The, and it's interesting. I get clients who argue with me on that. You know, they push back. Matt, I've 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 listened to all your podcasts. I've 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 listened to what you teach, but it is the problem for me. They'll say that. They'll they'll kind of put their foot down and say it really is the problem. It's the cause of the anxiety. It's the cause of the depression in my life because they do see some costs. There are costs to any addiction. So um, I get that. So here's what I always say, Brendan, is I say, okay, let's go with your, um, what do they call it in science? Uh, your theory, hypothesis. your uh, hypothesis. Yeah. Let's go with your hypothesis. Okay. So tell me why you keep going to it. Like if it's truly the problem and the source of pain in your life, what, what's good about it? You know, what do you get out of it? I know Craig Para, who's a disciple of a disciple, yeah. like a, a, a he he was coached by George Collins too. Yeah. I was, uh, he's he's a George Collins George Collins mentored him. Yeah, he says he says that's one of his favorite questions. He's like, what do you like about it? Because you gotta like something, right? You're ruining your life to go for it. Yeah, there's gotta be and and again and Jay Stringer too said this too. Like, let's get curious about what you like about it. And as you start to question, what do I like about it? What am I getting out of this? You realize, oh, I'm trying to get nurture. I'm trying to get affirmation. I want to feel wanted. I want to avoid starting this big project. And all of a sudden, you realize, oh, I'm trying to get some needs met from this thing. And this has become my primary way to try to get needs met. And But because of the costs, I can conclude that it's not working. Yeah. And so then Matt's hypothesis that porn is the solution it, and it's a bad solution starts to become more <laughs> truthful. Yeah. You know, well, I, I definitely or, start, to buy it. They start to buy it. They start to buy, you know, my theory of, of, uh, of, of it being the solution. Yeah. It's really well said. And I remember listening to some of your maybe earlier podcasts where you talked about how, what you really wanted was 
warmth and uh, a connection with women and intimacy and love and acceptance and how you were using pornography to meet those needs, which is so understandable. And this is, it's kind of like, it's this false promise of you can get all those needs met with porn and then none of the downsides, none of the vulnerability, none of the exposure to your feelings, your shame, the potential rejection. And so it's kind of like, safety. Yeah. It's safe. It's like, it's like I can get all these needs met, but in a safe, self-protective yes. way. Yes. And, and, and so part of the recovery is like, how do I, how do I change the way I'm trying to, so uh, I'm so entrenched in meeting my own needs and staying safe. Part of recovery is changing that feeling safe with others, opening myself up. It's like, you know, it's, it's, that's the hard part. That's the work. My, my teacher, the initial teacher I mentioned, Beverly Engel, she said to me one time that porn is like fast food and intimacy with a woman is like a gourmet meal. <laughs> a, a gourmet meal where sometimes you have to wait a long time yeah, to get into the restaurant. <laughs> you got to pay more. You got to invest more. Uh, you got to deal with the frustrations. But it's true. I, I really remember, Matt. So I'm, a finicky chef. Yeah. A difficult, <laughs> arrogant French chef. <laughs> right. All right. This is bordering on misogyny. Uh, uh, no, no. But, but, but you know, yeah. I, I was just going to say that when when I began this work in 2013, that's when I really started my own personal journey, I I isolated a lot because I was so numb, but also so exposed to other people. And I just used different tools to kind of coat the pain around that, you know, alcohol, porn. And then once I started to get in touch with my feelings, it was like, this avalanche of pain. So I put up these big walls and I was like, no, I'm not going to date right now. I'm going to be very careful about who I choose as friends right now. And uh, then I would say after a few years of that, I started to reintegrate, right? Reconnect to people and groups and society. And I went on this date with this great woman. And then, um, you know, we kissed at the end and we'd been dating for about a month or two. And uh, Beverly asked me, you know, how did that feel? And I just remember saying, so much more fulfilling and truly meaningful for getting those human needs met than any video or pornography screen or any experience like that. So it absolutely, as you know, it's it's so worth it to do the work and face the pain initially to get to that other side. Yeah, I, I totally agree. Um, you know, Again, I, I haven't been exposed to a lot of other religious traditions. And so sometimes it makes me nervous when I kind of border on, say, something that seems Buddhist or whatever, because just my own Christian upbringing. But one of the ways that I started really feeling like I had some level of healing was intimacy with my wife. I would have almost like an absence of thought. Like, like instead of all this sort of self-focus and fantasy and these other things that would cloud my brain in intimacy, you know, like I'm sure guys out there have struggled with, you know, fantasizing about porn or other women when they're having intimacy yeah. or, or they're just, or maybe things they've seen in porn cloud their mind. 
in in sex and in real intimacy and what i started noticing is like a quietness in my mind like an absence of thought and sometimes my wife would say yeah i'd be looking in her eyes she said what are you thinking and i'm i'd be like i'm thinking like absolutely nothing like i'm just here i see you it's almost like i'm just it's it's almost like it would be like it would be like if you were on dry land and you jumped into a, a pool of water and for that moment that you're first in the pool of water your whole body is overcome by the sense of being un, in the water and if you asked what are you thinking you're like i'm not thinking anything i'm thinking i'm feeling the water that's like what intimacy started to become like and the crazy thing is is when i do start feeling intrusive thoughts when i start like let's say i even get distracted by something that's when i start going what's going on with me like what what am i bringing now to our connection that this is getting in the way because i'm so I, i'm so in love now and so motivated to get to that that place of calm and that place of clear thinking that i'll just be like oh i i have some resentment that i haven't talked to my wife about or oh i saw something on tv today that triggered me a little bit and i haven't talked about it so i don't there's a place where i feel like i'm hiding or my brain is kind of you know ruminating on that a little bit cuz i just haven't processed it or talked to someone about it and the moment i share that thing that's capturing my attention boom i'm back under the water back into that warm connection yeah that's that's really powerful i remember learning about something called uh, tantric sex and <laughs> i don't know the definition don't google it. don't google it yeah that's probably not a good thing for your audience to go look into but the the version that i was exposed to when i did research on this was that um what i would do and i did this with um you know one of my last serious relationships is uh we would have a ceremony of of meditation we would light candles we would get very into our body and one thing that i've also learned by the way in my recovery is that i thought that when i when i started dating again i said great um i'm done with my addiction but then what i realized is that you can be addicted to a woman and you can be addicted to having intimacy with her and that can coat the pain possibly even more powerfully than pornography and so what i've noticed was in my recovery to learn how to have um very present being one to one in the moment with yourself and that person and like you said checking in for any resentment anger pain and uh yeah so the the tantric that i'm referring to was uh, the like sort of a set of suggested guidelines around meditation candles um talking or just making like eye gazing there's a book called uh way of the superior man by david data and he has a meditation in that book where he says you know you look from one eye into the other partner's eye and you do a couple it's pretty it's pretty cool i liked it and then i got to the point myself like you just described where you can actually have no thought no fantasy about 
that video that you watch or another woman. And man, that's what a powerful way to experience intimacy with another woman. And also what a great, uh, just kind of presence that you could bring into any area of your life. Yeah, no, I, 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 it's one thing I've told guys too, sometimes in coaching, I think I've probably mentioned on the podcast too, is like, if you are struggling with that obtrusive thought kind of thing, the way to start to deal with that is to really slow down and to take time um, and even to stop. Like if you're engaging in some activity and you start having obtrusive thoughts to just stop for a moment. And if you do that a few times, your brain will start to go, wait a second, when, when I'm putting this in his head, the behavior and the, 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 the erotic sort of excitement stops, the stimulation. And that will, that your brain will start, start going, wait a second, I want to stay with this good feeling. I don't want to stop. And, and then even letting them know, Hey, I'm, you know, Hey, I'm stopping for a moment. I just need to be present. I need to look in your eyes. Um, I've even said, you know, have a lower light on so that you're focused on your partner versus like being in the dark. I've told my wife that when it's complete black, it's sometimes harder to control my mind because my mind will just start kind of filling in the gaps. Um, and, uh, so, you know, things like that, like slowing down, stopping, capturing your thoughts, you know, you know, not, uh, you know, sharing them, you know, in a way where you're like, I need to take a break for a moment. And uh, you do that enough, you start to kind of create that safer place where you're really getting into real intimacy versus, you know, using your wife or your partner as a way to sort of literally get off. I mean, that's, that's what you're doing when you're bringing in that fantasy life. You're essentially saying you're here with me, you know, stimulating me, but I'm, I'm somewhere else in my head. I'm isolated and disconnected from you. Yeah. It's also in my experience of recovery applied to self-pleasuring. So Beverly Engel taught me and got me onto this idea of once you ditch the pornography, if it makes sense, if it's something that you want to do of having self-pleasuring because there are these communities that are not only poor and free, but then you have like the no fat communities as well. Uh, But if you are going to engage in any kind of self-pleasuring, really learning how to get very into your body and you can again, practice that form of nothingness. And for me, that helped me differentiate between I'm going to do this because I want to just have a dopamine hit or an, a pain escape versus is there a physical sensation and desire in my body for this right now? Because I would go to begin a session like that and then get really into my body and really connected. And then my body would say, no, this is not something that I want right now. And that was a big aha moment. And I remember asking Beverly, when I started this process, I said, so I'm not going to look at porn, obviously. Should I think about women? And she said, I want you to think about yourself. And I said, you want me to think about myself? What does that mean? And she said, think about, and I'm curious what you think about this, Matt, because she had a lot of experience as a sex therapist, but you're really the men's guru on this uh, porn recovery stuff. 
she said, think about some examples of where you're really empowered and in a good state doing something you love. So I was actually thinking of myself riding around New York City on a boosted board, listening to music or riding around on a city bike or traveling or doing something really empowering and just kind of visualizing myself in that moment, high self-esteem, and then from there going to it. And, and that did help me. And I'm curious if you think that's totally crazy or if you would recommend that. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, yeah, you know, the guys have talked about all sorts of different ideas around this um, destigmatizing shame around masturbation or mindful masturbation, this idea of visualizing. Um, and where I netted out on it was I just described as clear as I could sort of this new level of intimacy that I had achieved with my wife and in that connection and everything else kind of dulls in comparison to that in my mind. Um, so the idea of me being alone in the bathroom or me being alone in bed, even if I'm having really positive, powerful thoughts about myself, I'm ultimately alone and I'm not connected to her. And my sexual expression now is exclusively in my connection and intimacy with her. Um, and where I got in trouble in my life was when my sexual expression was mine alone. And that's, that's where I kind of got really out of control, where I was trying to meet my own needs on my own schedule, you know, and, and so for me, letting go of masturbation wasn't, um, it wasn't any more about whether it was permissible, like whether it was a good thing or a bad thing for me, it became, or whether it was on, you know, um, on the table or off the table, it became, is it beneficial? Does it add anything? And my, what I started going was this doesn't add, add to me. What about, yeah, that, no, I, I totally agree. I, that's exactly my vision for when I'm, have a long-term partner and what would you say to people who are not in a relationship yeah well i i the thing i'd say is be cautious and i'll say this is and i learned this from one of my friends uh, she told me this she said um matt i was thinking about my connection with self-pleasure and she was kind of saying hey i was getting pretty good at this like i kind of got the idea of the way my body worked and you know kind of was like and then she just realized Am I potentially robbing my future partner of the joy of discovering how my body works? Mm. Like, am I, you know, am, am I going to have expectations and disappointment because he doesn't connect with me the way that I have sort of developed? Yeah. Now, I, I think you could push back and say, well, what about, you know, could you be more communicative about what you like? And, you know, there's all kinds of things. But I like that idea of I want to be careful to not be an expert of my own body if eventually I want to sh share my body and the discovery yeah. of intimacy with another. I don't want to become the captain of my body to the point where it's like, you know, my wife is just sort of a, you know, an accessory to my masturbation activity. Yeah. No, that, that's great. I, I think that's a great point. But, but I get that 
some of this challenge is is uh you know how do we how do we how do we recover in a way that you know is ultimately um tied on to long-term recovery yeah and so i um you know i was just reading about destigmatizing labels of addiction um i'm actually i haven't done a podcast on this yet but um you know, I'm going to probably stop using the idea of porn addict. Like I don't say it very often anymore. I probably haven't said it in the last hundred episodes, but, um, I don't like the stigma stigmatizing of that. Yeah. And, uh, one of the words that they were talking about that has more meaning for people is the idea of long-term recovery. So a question to ask yourself about masturbation or self-pleasure is where does this fit with my long-term recovery? right? If I'm going to be in a future relationship, where does this fit? Um, so short term, you know, and, and I've told this in my own recovery, I didn't give up masturbation when I first gave up porn. Porn was the enemy. Porn was the problem for me when I first got in. And so that was sort of the, the my main focus. And I really didn't associate the masturbation. Now I realize it's like peanut butter and jelly. It's like, uh, and if you're outside of the United States, that's the way we eat peanut butter sandwiches. It's always with jelly. If you didn't have jelly, it, you would be really weird. <laughs> uh, and and I realized that they they really are, you know, sort of these habits that are integrated. Um, so to take one away from the other, it's it leaves the other one, and you kind of start have to ask yourself, what is what's the purpose of it? Um, so I could see in short-term recovery, it's maybe something that helps you start to reduce your, you know, use of porn. Maybe it starts to help you be able to step back and start to create safer boundaries, but long-term, what's the benefit? What, how does it help you? Yeah, that's really well said, man. I'm going to ask you a question about dating now because it's something that I'm going through and I've gone out on... A few dates. Um, I would say probably two now since my last relationship ended. And I'm really taking my time and very focused on me. And with this heightened self-awareness, I can see very quickly um, I'm looking for something, a, a woman who's like, like-minded, like spiritual, goes deep. And in Manhattan, there are many, many women who are very unfamiliar with a lot of the things that you talk about on your show and that are written in the books that we both like to read. And uh, you, you mentioned obviously for people in the Christian community that going to something like church would be a good place to meet people. You know, I'm Jewish and I'm actually getting more involved with synagogue community. And that's been a great place to meet people. So that's a great thing for people who um, identify religiously. And I'm curious where else you would recommend people go to meet like-minded people and just in general many of your listeners and people on this journey are experiencing a heightened level of consciousness and aware self-awareness and they're really growing and so some of these dates that i've gone on amazing amazing people so nice so sweet but just totally different wavelengths that we're on it's interesting. Um, my first thought is actually influenced by your podcast. I was listening to your podcast when I was getting coffee today. And um, you quoted uh, Tony Robbins, who, or not Tony Robbins, someone on your podcast was quoting Tim Ferriss, 
who was quoting Jim Rohn, you know, the, the you're the average of the five people you spend the most time with. Yeah. Do you know what I'm talking about? That quote? It's a I love it. quote that we all, business entrepreneurs always say that yeah. so let's, let's raise our level and yeah. let's, um, <laughs> uh, what do they call level it? Um, up. Yeah, level, level up. up. Let's level <laughs> yeah. up. Right. You know, ask a millionaire yeah. to lunch. And, and we think about, well, that's how we get successful. That's how we, we're going to get to the next level. We're going to engage with peers who are having success. We're going to find mentors. We're going to go, we're going to go after the mentor and find out what they have. Um, but, but yet when we're struggling with making connections and dating, our first thought is let's put an app on our phone and start swiping through pictures. Yeah. Right. It's like the least way of the, 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 the easiest there's, it's like no relationship yeah. at all. Um, and so one thing I would say a challenge to, to anyone who's in this boat of trying to figure out how to date and how, how to, how to find that like-minded partner, the way to do it, I think the most successful way is to surround yourself with people in healthy relationships, relationships that you want. And so find a community where people are having the kind of relationship that you want. And, um, and that takes some time, especially as a single person, sometimes it's difficult because you're, you're like, you have to invite yourself over to married friends houses or ask married friends to go out to dinner with you. Um, but as you start to connect with those folks, that's, um, that's where you're going to start to be able to get an idea of who am I looking for? What kind of partner? I think when I was single, I did this accidentally. I had some good married friends in my church that I would hang out with. Um, every Friday night, I'd get together with uh, this couple named Dave and Tara, and we would we'd watch uh, movies. This is back in the days when you'd have to rent a movie. Mm -hmm. We'd rent a movie, we'd get pizza, and the three of us would just hang out on Friday night and we wouldn't plan it. This is before the days of social media and Google Calendar. Uh, it would be like, it'd be like five or six o'clock and I'd call them on their landline and say, you wanna get together? And they never had plans. I never had plans, we we're spontaneous. We would almost always get together. So interestingly, when I, started dating my wife at the time, I, um, I had this model in my head. I had seen Dave and Tara together. And that was one of the ways that I started sort of measuring my relationship by having this sort of role models. And my dream was to have Janice come and be kind of the fourth wheel on our, our little gatherings. And it's funny, she didn't connect with them at first. Is your wife? Um, <laughs> yeah. And it was a real disappointment for me. I thought we were going to be great couple friends and spend every Friday night together. And it turned out Janice had other ideas about what she wanted to do on Friday night. Yeah. Um, and uh, it's ironic because Tara and her became good friends later and later, much later after we had right. kids. Uh, so, so I think they're closer now than the four of us. So that's the funny part. But, but um that was one thing. And there were other couples in my life back then who were sort of my allies and advocates. They were people I could ask for advice. They were people that would recommend people for me to date. Um, and so, you know, I had a 
um, so that's kind of one thing I would recommend is, is you want to be in a healthy relationship, find some other people who are in relationships like you want to be in and get to know them, be connected with them. Um, because that's going to give you more data of what you're really looking for. And potentially that, that sort of network is going to be the thing where potentially you're, you're going to find that more like-minded person. Um, they're going to know on their radar who's like you or who, who, who may, might fit you. That, yeah. The at being the average of the five people is a quote that I really, really respect and I think is spot on. And I made a list. It's funny. I'm being very thoughtful about who I spend time with as friends or even just thinking about people's careers when I'm going to spend time with them. Because I remember when I was about to go to the Super Bowl earlier this year, that was obviously an investment and it was a business opportunity as well. And I asked a friend of mine, should I go? And he said, why wouldn't you go? It's no brainer. You'll get business and it'll be a great opportunity. And then there was another guy that I used to be friends with who uh, was really having no uh, success at all. He was basically a failed entrepreneur and terrible relationship with money. And he told me, definitely don't go. And what I realized was it's not that he's a bad person and the other guy was a good person. That guy who I'm talking about who wasn't the most successful financially had a beautiful marriage and family. And so he's someone to spend time with in the context of family and maybe ask for family advice. And then the other person maybe more for business. So that was one thing I noticed. And then another friend of mine gave me this idea, which I really like. And it's great for people like young professionals or people who live in big cities. He said, every day I have this alarm that goes off on my phone and it's a reminder to reach out to two people. And it's, it's, you know, a texting a guy, calling a friend, just saying, hey, how's your week going? What are you up to this weekend? Every, you know, do two of those every day. And then people will start to come back around to you more. And so I started to do that. And then after the second day, I, I said, who am I going to text today? And it was becoming a, uh, a harder process for me. So I actually just wrote down a list. And I have a list on my computer of all my friends and all these people that I can reach out to. So I had that list. But then you and I spoke, Matt, uh, a couple of weeks ago, just catching up offline, and you recommended this idea of hanging out with like-minded people. So I went back through my list, and I color-coded all the people. So I have, I think it was four or five colors. If you're, I have it here, but if you're just a regular black text, then you're uh, single or you have a boyfriend or girlfriend. If you were green, you, uh, you, had, um, you were married. If you were blue, you were married and had children. And on a list of say thirty people, there were maybe there were two that had were married with kids, and I and I said, "Wow, what an interesting takeaway I'm having here. I'm spending time with people who are mostly single or or dating, which in New York can be living a married life but not really investing or thinking about a long term future with someone, having sex with someone, just taking all the benefits of marriage and not really investing in that institution." And it really made me call into question who I've been hanging out with. And then I started to say, all right, who can I add onto this list that's blue or green? And now I've been reaching out to very different, very new people and spending more time with them. And it's really uh, impacting me positively. Man, that's amazing. That what I love the action you're taking there. I, I love just the, the practice of connection. Um, you know, so, so many guys that I work with, 
run into this challenge where when things are going good, that's when they kind of take the foot off the connection. You know, they just kind of like, hey, I'm having a good day. I don't need to make a call. And and then, but the problem is, is when you're really doing bad, you don't want to call either. So the best thing to do is to commit to calling no matter what you feel. And and if you realize this is a deficit in you, you're, you are prone to isolation, you almost have to do what your friend suggested, this idea of, I'm going to use, I'm going to create a habit around this, not wait for me to spontaneously feel like reaching out. And what happens is when you start consistently reaching out, people reach back to you at some yeah. point. Um, I, I had a, a friend move back into town and I, I need some help building friendships. Like I, there's been some times where I've been a bad friend or I've let things wane. Losing my corporate job cut a lot of sort of lazy friendships out of my life, like where I didn't have to do very much, but I had a lot of connection. And I have to be much more intentional. I work at home. I'm like you. I'm an entrepreneur. I work at home. So you have to be intentional. Other people in life are going to jobs and they're talking about sports over the water cooler. We don't have that. So we have to create those opportunities. I had a friend moving back into town and I was like intentional. Like I'm like, I got to text him. I got to be like on his radar a little bit. And sure enough, a couple of times of connecting with him, thinking about you, all of a sudden I wake up one morning, hey, you want to get lunch? He's initiating with me. And, and he's getting more busy now that he's getting plugged in. So now I'm having to work harder at getting on his yeah. schedule because, you know, he's got stuff taking up his time. But I realized if I just waited for him to get into town and call me, it might have never came that call. Um, and if I just wait for that perfect woman who who wants the kids and wants that spiritual connection to just sort of show yeah. up at my my uh my uh <laughs> I want to have some good jokes since you're in the city my uh my soul cycle <laughs> class <laughs> my flywheel class yeah my flywheel soul cycle my go, uh, we can go work out at equinox. Uh, yeah. Right. We can, we can go get a kombucha afterwards. <laughs> a, fi- a $15 <laughs> green juice. Yeah. Uh, you know, I just, I listen, that's all my stereotypes of, of, of Brooklyn. And right. maybe and, I'll take a girl out for a, a hot dog I, I, and a Cubs game or something. <laughs> hey, there we go. Hey, uh, yeah, go get it. Go get a hot Deep dog. Dish pizza. Yeah. Yeah, get some pizza, go to Malnati's. <laughs> You know, treat her right. You know. <laughs> uh, no, you're you're you're. You can even hey, you can even get an appetizer. Whoa. I thought you were a cheap date, man. <laughs> I got to bring my my business card when I come out. No, that's good. Um, hey, I got a question for you, sure. um, and it's it was on my list, so this is a great time to ask. So you know, you've had professional success. You you worked at a hedge fund. You worked on Wall Street. You, you have your JD, which is a, a law degree. Uh, you went to a, some minor school in Ithaca, New York. I, <laughs> Cornell. <laughs> I mean, you know, like, you know, you've done a lot. Um, but last time I talked to you, you're like, Matt, um, I really want to focus on relationships and some of my coaching. 
And I just was curious with your business success, with some of your other success, even in your coaching practice, what fascinates you about relationships? I think we're always most intrigued by what doesn't come easiest to us in life. And so when I was in high school, I noticed that uh, I was one of the top students in my class and uh, the the jocks, as you would call it, I was kind of a walk-on backup on the football team. I was good at tennis. I was the captain of our tennis team, but I was not the biggest lacrosse football jock. Uh, I was a lot skinnier and smaller at the time, which contributed to that. And the jocks were fascinated by my intelligence, and they were so curious how I could solve these complex calculus problems. And they gave me a lot of respect uh, for my intelligence. And I was the same way. I really kind of glorify and put these athletes on a pedestal. And especially now I, I coach professional athletes, um, NFL players specifically. And when I look at them, you know, I had a guy on my podcast, uh, Rennie Kieran, awesome guy. He was the captain of Georgia football team and then played in the NFL. And he's an amazing dude. And I'm just so intrigued by that because that's something that definitely does not come naturally to me. And I think that a lot of people kind of look at my professional success um, in this in this similar light. You know, I was the number two person at a hedge fund on Wall Street. I was an investment banker at Lazard on the 61st floor of 30 Rockefeller Plaza. And while I did work very hard and put in a lot of hours and work to get to that place, I was also born with a lot of that and just model, a lot of that was modeled by my parents growing up. And so I have to give a lot of credit to external factors and getting to that level. And so I think people kind of look at that and give me more credit than maybe I deserve or maybe not. But the point is people are fascinated by something that comes so easily to me that can be so challenging for them. And when I think about relationships, it's the same thing. I, intimacy was modeled extremely poorly for me when I was growing up. And so someone who just was born into a family where their parents loved them and loved each other at least on a different level of the spectrum than where I was at, at the total bottom, are able to be in a relationship and trust their partner and uh, you know be in a relationship for a longer period of time than I was able to without a lot of uh, complicated emotions coming up, which would contribute to sabotaging those relationships. So the reason why I'm so fascinated by relationships and interested in it is in part because I was told one time to teach what you most need to learn and because it's an area of my life when I look at the wheel of life and I say, you know, I, I mentioned I took my first uh, flying lesson last weekend in an airplane and I get into the plane, Cessna 172, and my instructor, it's a great guy, recently got out of the military and he he's now wanting to be a commercial pilot. And if everything goes according to plan, in five or 10 years, he'll be a pilot for either a regional carrier or maybe one of the big three airlines, but doing, you know, shorter haul flights and maybe making somewhere between hundred and $150,000. And so his dream is to get to a certain level, which I surpassed by the time I was 25. And so I told him about my business and yeah, I'm making this, I don't tell him exactly, but I'm making a certain level of income. I'm my own boss. I only work if I want to, kind of if I'm bored, I maybe have to work one, two hours a day max. I can run it from anywhere in the world. And people are drooling, right? And the guy said to me, Brandon, you're living the dream. 
like, do you realize that? And sometimes I don't, and I have to get back into more gratitude. That's one thing. I'm it's funny. On. It's funny. Yeah. My, my not to interrupt you, but my mom texted me the other day. She listened to one of my recent podcasts, and I talked about you know working on this, building this little studio in my studio office in my house. And she goes, "You're literally living the dream. You, you're yeah. building an office for yourself. Like <laughs> yeah. what? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think we really owe it to ourselves as entrepreneurs to." Um, not compare externally, which is something that I tend to do sometimes. Right. And, uh, you know, when I was here, I wanted to be here. Now I'm here. And then I say, oh, well, this guy's got, a, you know, 50 million followers or whatever. But the point is, uh, I'm really fascinated by relationships because in the past they were very challenging for me. And um, I and kind of business and money isn't as exciting to me because it's kind of just comes easier to me. And that's based on the fact that my parents were successful lawyers. My grandparents were successful. My grandfather was a very successful lawyer. And the other thing is uh, I grew up when I moved in with my mom and stepfather when I was 14, my stepfather drove a Bentley Arnage. He had a Rolls Royce with a private driver and he had a limousine. And we had a 38 foot sea ray boat uh, right on the water at our house. And so I was so miserable. He was so miserable. My mom was so miserable. And so I experienced at a very young age uh, the concept of having a lot of money and, and knowing that that's not the answer to happiness in life. And so I was blessed with that lesson early. And so I know that you can have uh, money in your own business and still not be happy. So that's one thing. But to come back to your question, it's um, relationships is the area where I'm most looking to hone my skills around uh, my emotions and trust and intimacy. And uh, I've come a long way. You know, this year I was in a relationship for most of the year and I learned a lot and I've never been in a better position than I'm in now. And I know there's still more work ahead of me, but, uh, you know, the thing that you work hardest for when you accomplish it can be the one that's most rewarding. And certainly when I get to the other side of an intimate relationship, you're going to see me on stage pumping that content probably harder than anything else because it'll be so meaningful to me. Man, I love that. I, I read a quote this week that that kind of ties in with this. It's um, from uh, John Butler Yates. Now, you might recognize that name. He's the father of, of W.B. Yates, who's a famous poet. And it took me forever to source this quote because um, it's misattributed to his son a lot. Um, but, uh, it took me forever. I, I obsessively searched every article in the internet to figure out where this quote came from. And he said this, uh, he was writing a letter to someone and he said, um, happiness, what is it? I say it's neither virtue nor pleasure, nor this thing or that, but simply growth. We are happy when we are growing. And I love this idea of you getting fascinated by relationships, partly because that's where you're growing. And, and you're not as, you know, you still have all this wisdom and, and stuff around business and stuff like that. And that's something you can give your clients. And yet where you're finding growth right now is, is in that place. Um, and even back to circle back, call back to our earlier conversation you know, 
what's the difference between me right now and me last April is I'm growing. You know, I'm growing a little more and it's coming. You're seeing the results in weight loss. You're seeing the results in maybe a little different attitude, a little different outlook. And that, that equates to more happiness. And it's not happiness like a just joy. It's more like a, a contentedness and, and where it's like, it's more settled. And, um, and that's, you know, that's kind of the goal. And, and, and I have one last question. I've, I've been dying <laughs> to ask this the whole, the whole time we've been talking and maybe we could wrap up here. Yeah. Um, so I've told you before we started recording that, you know, some of the, the most, one of the most popular episodes this past year was kicking ass in life. This idea of, of, you know, at some point, we realize that life is is not just all recovery work, but it's like kicking ass. It's creating a great life. So what are some things you're doing on this side of recovery um, to kick ass in life? Like what are, what are some things that you've been going Yeah, after? so there's part of kicking ass, which is the things that I'm methodical about in terms of personal development. So obviously relationships and dating and friendship and community building. And then there's just the list of stuff that's really fun that has nothing to do with, you know, being intentional or, you know, raising to the next level. And so one of those things is uh, my favorite food to eat is sushi. And if you come to New York City, next time you're here, Matt, I'll take you out for good omakase. Omakase is Japanese for let the chef decide. Oh. For anywhere from 100 to multiple $100 per person. And don't worry, it's on me. We sit down and the, the, they put out one piece at a time. And not the rolls, but the longer nigiri pieces. Yeah, right. Yeah. No, so I love that. I love sushi. So obviously I went to And now have you, been, have you been to Nobu? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Just okay. Times. Just okay. Uh, yeah, it's good. Nobu's more of a restaurant experience from my take is sitting at a table and it's kind of a fusion with cooked Japanese food. Right. I like to go in and they have them in New York City and it's a quiet, pristine, very Japanese counter with yeah. six seats. And you come in and the chef comes out with a nice Jiro dreams of sushi. That kind exactly. of stuff. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. You know exactly what I'm talking yeah. about. So I actually went to Japan and I ate at Jiro's restaurant and he served me. Oh my gosh. Really? Yeah. He had a hearing aid in um, and he served me just the way in the documentary. And I paid way too much for it, but it was uh, a once in a lifetime experience. The restaurant's called Suki Yabashi Jiro. Yeah. Now, can you give me an idea ballpark? Like, I, I have no idea how much that experience would cost. Can you just give me like a ballpark? I'll tell you in yen first. Okay. <laughs> so, so uh, Jiro is, it's a three Michelin star restaurant. I know. Yeah. Which is hilarious because it's in a subway station. Yeah. And and there's no bathroom. To use the bathroom in this restaurant, you actually have to go to the subway, leave the restaurant, and go to the subway station's bathroom. It was approximately thirty two thousand yen, and it's a hundred to one conversion rate. <laughs> okay, wait, <laughs> hold on. I'm I got the calculator out here, so I'm putting in. What did you say it was? Thirty two thousand. Okay, thirty two thousand divided by a hundred. Okay, that's not that bad. 
I mean, I was fine with it. I was that. I, I mean, I I was thinking it was like three thousand dollars or something. Oh no, no. I would say oh. that in in the the most expensive restaurant in New York City per person is called Masa. Yeah, and it's it's also omakase, and it's five hundred. Okay. Uh, now right. the the way these bills get really expensive is from alcohol, right? right? So if you go to Eleven Madison Park, which I went to once and was really great. The meal itself is about $275 per person, but then they have wine pairing uh, menus. Mm. So with every course out of the 20 courses, you get a new wine and they have a regular wine pairing, which is another 275 or there's the more premier wine pairing, which is 500 and that's where it goes. But anyway, to get back to your original question, um, <laughs> I I really love traveling and I, I will say that I love a $6 uh, bowl of ramen just as much as that and i like trying all the different areas of the spectrum so i i love um, traveling internationally and really connecting with the local culture there um, i love new hobbies which is what brought me into learning taking this japanese language class um you know i have an electric skateboard that i ride over all over the city boosted board yep i got the boosted board i um you know, I'm learning how to fly planes. I, uh, I well, really... you're learning how to fly planes. That I you mentioned that earlier, but yeah, what's the long term goal there? The long term goal would be to um, get first first get step is get my private pilot's license, um, then get a higher tier license which approves me to fly in the clouds to fly longer haul flights, and ultimately, I would love to own my own plane. And you can get a small plane pretty affordably. And then put my company name on it, Burns International Inc. And then if I, say, wanted to come out to Chicago, I could just fly with, say, my business partner and fly out, come see you. We have lunch, spend the weekend, and I fly myself back home. Oh, man, that'd be fun. You don't have to go on uh, kayak.com and buy tickets and you don't have to go through security and all that. Wow, that's pretty cool. So I um, like that. Yeah. You know, the, the thing about this, like in someone listening to my podcast right now, might go, Oh, well, this is this is kind of the the leisure activities of someone who has wealth or has grown, you know, business. But the thing about it is, is what I hear, and this is what I'd love for to kind of point out to my audience, is I hear these are exciting things that you're going after, and these are experiences. And Everyone has opportunity to do things that they enjoy and excite them. And it literally sometimes means making a list, sitting down going, what really excites me? What gets me motivated? Um, and sometimes some of us listening, you know, some guys listening to Point Free Radio are going to be like you and they're going to have the Super Bowl on their list and they can make it happen. And other guys are going to be like, that's maybe a little more of a, a stretch goal. But but that doesn't mean that there aren't cool things that you can do. Um, I was um, I was coaching a guy a few years ago who was looking on the calendar and his wife was going to be out for the night on Friday night. And he was looking at that night like it was the worst thing in the world. Like, what am I going to do with four or five hours without looking at porn? Like, I'm going to white knuckle. And he was having anxiety about the opportunity of Friday night. And so we, I kind of challenged him. I said, you know, well, what else could you do with that Friday night? And I said, is there anything you'd like to do that your wife doesn't like to do? And, and he said, well, you know, my wife is not a big fan of going out for steak. 
And so he'd, he kind of, I said, well, could you go out and get a steak? And he said, yeah, I guess so. So he figured out what restaurant he was going to go to. And I go, what else? And then he goes, well, she doesn't like cigars. And uh, so he got it, you know, he, uh, he knew of a cigar shop in town where he could go buy a cigar and smoke it there. And I go, what else? Is there anything else? And she, um, she doesn't like action movies. So the next thing you know, he's going to like a Tom Cruise movie or something. And at the end of the day, he ended up having this date night with himself. And he got home at like 11, right about the time she got home. And, you know, when he came back the next week, he just had such a great experience. He said he's probably going to do it once a month. And then I said, well, what if you only had two hours? What could you do? And he said he used to love playing pickup hockey. And I said, is there anywhere you can play pickup hockey in your area? And he said, yeah, there's a rink and they have hockey at this time. And by the next time I saw him, he had gone and played pickup hockey. And then I said, what else? Is there anything else? And then he said he had a little fishing boat. And with the right intention, he could get to the boat, um, go out on the water for an hour, come back all within two hours. He could do a little, little fishing. And he hadn't fished all year. And so we realized as we kept asking and challenging that creativity, there were all these things that excited him that he could do. And he didn't have to sit at home white knuckling thinking, how am I going to not do this activity that I'm trying to avoid or trying to quit? Um, and there's all these things that he was doing. So you're just doing that at a, at a max level. But... The truth right. is, anyone can do this. Anyone. And and in my experience, I, like these are just some of the more fun and higher ticket things that I've engaged in. I would say that the meat and potatoes of it for me is long walks with my dog, starting a podcast, getting a $40 massage, um, playing basketball with friends, learning a language on Duolingo, uh, taking a yoga class in the park. And pretty much everything there I mentioned is either free or 20 or 40 bucks. And so yeah. uh, I think, you know, a lot of what I've been able to do in terms of killing it and having my post-recovery life, um, m most of it and certainly the most meaningful things were extremely affordable. And some of those, you know, higher tier, higher ticket things certainly were exhilarating. But the ones that are deepest in my heart and most long-lasting and fulfilling are the ones with friends and meeting up and playing checkers or chess or, you know, stuff like that. Yeah, you're right. And I, I, I experienced it this year. Um, my family, you know, my sons are both adopted from Taiwan. They're 12 and 14 now. We had always wanted to go back to Taiwan for like a homecoming trip. And my wife and I didn't come from a background where, Kind of that entrepreneurial, what's possible, I'll just make the money, you know, like we didn't come from that kind of background. So the idea of us going on this international trip seemed crazy um, to our old way of thinking. But um, so it was kind of a wish for several years. And last year I was like, I want to make this happen. I've been doing profit first in my business, Mike McCallowitz's way of kind of doing your business finances. Yeah, I like and, him. And you, you get kind of a profit uh, distribution every quarter uh, that you set aside when you start doing your finances. And, you know, it starts to add up. And I realized, man, with this profit first, 
um, I could start to plan for a trip to Taiwan, maybe, if I really got my act together and really was focused. And sure enough, the, once we decided, um, and I bought the tickets in January with the January profit, um, everything started falling in place. And what's interesting, Jan the first week in January, I got two calls um, from some previous clients that I'd done some consulting for, and they both had some urgent projects that I did before I left for Taiwan. And that's what really funded the whole trip. The, you know, the profit bought the tickets and then all the other costs came from these two clients. And I almost, I, and you know, I'm not getting into the woo woo part of self-help, <laughs> but I felt like making it an intention and committing to it. It was, I wasn't surprised when all of a sudden something opened up in my business that really made that opportunity be a possibility, you know, or yeah. that possibility really be something that happened. This is one of the things that I teach as a business coach is humans are very adaptive and most people set low goals and then they don't have to figure out how to make a certain amount of money. But if I say, go buy a round trip to Japan for 700 bucks, that money will show up. Worst case scenario, they pick up some Uber hours or they do something. But uh, I also have podcasts where I talk about how to travel the world for free. And so I show them how you know sign up for this credit card. I had Scott Keys on my show. I think it's episode three for those who want to check that one out. But sign up for this credit card. Those points get you the free flight. Then I'll throw my place up on Airbnb. Use that money for the stay there. Food is food wherever you are. And uh, I think it's funny that you know at different points in my life, people would think I was a lot richer than I actually was. Um, you know, knowing these tricks and techniques, but. Anyway, this, is, uh, this has been a great conversation, Matt. I really, really enjoyed this. Yeah, I love this conversation because um, you got a couple guys in recovery um, who are, you know, you're dating, I'm in marriage, we both have businesses, um, and we're, we're bringing our recovery experiences and those integrated uh, failures, <laughs> integrating some of those failures and missteps in our life and they're informing the way we coach, the way we make decisions. Uh, and we do things maybe differently than other people. Like we can't do everything that other people, that our peers do sometimes. But we're not limited. And the more that we press into and lean in, you know, we're happy when we're growing. Yeah. yeah Tony Robbins says uh, progress equals happiness. And I definitely see value in just continuing to go on that journey and feeling empowered and good about myself in that process. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of The Brendan Burns Show. If it's your first time here, please make sure to subscribe on the Apple Podcasts app or in Spotify. Also, please leave us a rating or written review. This helps others learn about the show and spread the word to new and more people. Lastly, if you're looking to take your personal life, business, or career to the next level and you want access to me as well as my community of like-minded people, head over to courses.brendanhburns.com and join us in Mastery Academy, my membership site that comes with online course content as well as live coaching calls every two weeks hosted by me personally. Thanks again for listening and have a great day.